Okay, and we are live. Thank you for joining Honor of Kings. Uh, this is our first live episode. I'm Sean Griffin, and I'm here with my co-host. Ken Heidebrecht, as always. Ken with 1K, Sean. Ken with 1K. Uh, I used to know a buddy who went to a Bible study with. His name was Scott, and uh, it was spelled S-C-O-T, and so we called him 1T. And, uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ken with 1K. I'm excited to have you back, man. Last week, we had an amazing episode talking about the Tree of Life. This week, we're going to look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as well as continue to explore the land, the trees, and the areas that Enoch is being shown. Uh, he's going to see some fascinating things. And I'm just, I'm really excited that uh, we're, we're just, you know, it's going to dig into the Enoch um, as far as how he is constantly being, being taken around, you know, like everywhere around the creation to look at stuff. And we're going to get to dive in, compare it to the modern Canon 66. So guys, thanks for joining us. And uh, we hope you really enjoy the content we're about to put forward, okay? We got to have that intro, Sean. Yeah. That's gotta have the it's the shofar blow it is it's amazing um it fits with the with the recent feast day right yeah have the feast of trumpets um then coming up next we got uh day of atonement which is always awesome yeah so this is the definitely the biblical feasts um season you know from the scriptures and uh yeah the shofar is definitely used in lots of the feasts and supposedly you know every sabbath so it's supposed to blow the shofar as well and so um, it's just a, a unique sound because there's so many different sounds you can make from, you know, a, an actual ram's horn. Because growing up, I would always see these pictures in church of Levites, like in Joshua, where they blew the, the, the trumpets when after they went around six or seven times around Jericho. And it was always like a silver trumpet, you know, like a long, straight trumpet like you would see from like, you know, uh, Victorian days and uh, in, in England four or five hundred years ago. But it wasn't an actual Hebrew horn of a of an animal, you know, a shofar, and so it just it brings a whole different wealth of perspective, and and you know, it really, really uh, gets you into the feel of what's happening. Um, so I, I think it's great. I love it too, Sean. I do. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, this week, guys, we're looking at uh, Enoch. Uh, we're going to be going through chapters twenty-five through thirty-two. And so there's a lot of fun stuff in here. 25 is going to pick up basically where we left off from 24 last week, where we're looking at the tree of life. And uh, as we discovered last week, it, it, it seems that it's, Enoch was saying it was the date palm, which is pretty amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, Sean, it's, uh, it's one of those hidden nuggets that, you know, you could search for all your life. But if you didn't have access to this particular book, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really know. There'd be a lot of speculation as, as there has been for many, many years. Yeah, and we so we, we went off this hinting that, that Enoch was telling us it's the date palm, and then we looked up and researched the date palm, both the fruit that grows on it, the you know, uh, the leaves, and apparently there's an incredible amount of benefits for healing for the body uh, associated with the date palm, which to me only makes sense if they call it the tree of life. Now, we also had to make the distinction last week that the tree of life that's growing, you know, as we see it in Reve uh, Ezekiel 47 and Revelation 22, where it talks about the tree of life or the trees, I should say, of life growing along the river of life. And that water from the river of life is coming from the throne of God. That's a little bit different scenario than a date prom growing at your, you know, your local greenery uh, outside your town or, in, or you know, in, in the Middle East somewhere today. 
So yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean the the context of the situation for the date poem that Enoch's looking at, or the date poem that Ezekiel and John are looking at in Revelation, very very different from just the na the natural date poem growing in this corrupted world that we live in today. So, but thankfully, all still regardless of all that, there's amazing medical benefits to the date poem. So we'll let people research that on their own time. Um, but man, wouldn't that be an awesome little little hinting at something that could really bring us a lot of a lot of healing for stuff that we deal with today? Yeah, absolutely. And as we come across the chapters that talk about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there's some interesting, you know, healing properties with that particular tree as well, from what I've been able to pull up. Yeah, I think in, we're going to read in later chapters in this particular episode how it is called the tree of wisdom. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like it was just a poisonous tree. It was just that they were told don't eat it. <laughs> so it was more it was really breaking the command. It wasn't like the actual tree itself was bad because it was just they were told not to eat it. It was it was part of their testing. You know, was it in their heart to keep God's instructions or not? So, um, all right, let's jump into the book of Enoch, guys. Um, Ken, do you want to read the first chapter or you want me to take it? Uh, I could start off with the first chapter if you want to pull okay, up buddy. the screen share there. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i screen share for people to read along at home. And um, let me just uh, see if it'll let me. This is our first live show of Honor of Kings, and it is not letting me do that. Sean, we got Thomas without a doubt in the comment section saying that he bought some red date palm oil after our last show. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really, we're not promoting anybody selling date palm stuff, but uh, um, but yeah, man, if you guys want to explore with that stuff in your own, there's a lot of amazing benefits apparently to the date palm oil. All right, brother. Um, yeah, man, I tell you what. Is it, it's not working, is it? It's not letting me take out the link out of the bar above, which is weird. So okay, I can I can just read the uh, the first chapter from what I've got here, and you can do you want to work on that while I'm doing that? Let's just do this real quick. I'll just be swift about it, and then that way folks can follow along. Okay, Enoch twenty five. All right, and he said unto me, Enoch. Why dost thou ask me regarding the fragrance of the tree, and why dost thou wish to learn the truth? Then I answered him, saying, I wish to know about everything, but especially about this tree. And he answered, saying, This high mountain which thou hast seen, whose summit is like the throne of God, is his throne, where the Holy Great One, the Lord of glory, the eternal King, will sit, when he shall come down to visit the earth with goodness. And as for this fragrant tree, no mortal is permitted to touch it till the great day of judgment when he shall take vengeance on all and bring everything to its consummation forever. It shall then be given to the righteous and holy. Okay. So what I think is fascinating in this particular part is that um, I just, you know, we're, talk we're talking about the summit, the summit of the throne. Uh, that's just kind of what sticks out to me because, you know, we see in, in um, what is it? Uh, Psalm 2. You know, it talks about the throne of Yeshua, the Son of God. Yeah. And then uh, we see, you know, obviously in Revelation 21 and 22, we see the, the throne of God. And even in Revelation chapter 2, I think it's verse 9 or 10, uh, Yeshua says, you know, he who keeps my deeds till the end, to him I will grant him to eat from the, the right to the tree of life as well as sit on my throne of authority um, as he sit on his, sits on his father's throne. And then uh, now we're going to read, I know this is a bit down the road, Ken, but we're going to read in Enoch 105. How Yahweh, the Almighty, directly tells us, I and my son will come down 
to, to earth with you, you know? And so um, this is interesting that Yeshua tells us he shares the throne of glory with his father. And so just to me, it's like, this is one example of if, if the book of Enoch were still in our canon today, I don't see how we would have uh, so much confusion over the Trinitarian argument. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, because you, it, you can tell that, that both of them were alive and that there there's two thrones. Yeah, absolutely. So, which is what Jesus actually tells us that, but people seem to glaze over that part, you know? Yeah, that's right. And just to provide a little bit of context, guys, um, this throne that the angel showing Enoch here in this particular chapter is in reference to what he had seen in the previous chapter. There was, I think it was three mountains to the east, three mountains to the south, and then there was one mountain in the middle. Yeah. That's that's kind of what he's he's giving yeah. you know. A, uh, and the mountain in the middle was was taller than the other six. That's right. Yeah, and uh, there's this, you know, the mountains of Zion basically, and I believe it's uh, in Isaiah 55, if I'm not mistaken, um, where it talks about how the mountains of Zion are like the many mountains of Bashan, glorious and beautiful. Hmm. Um, so just a quick reference because it's actually talking about a mountain range and not just a singular mountain. I guess is the illusion that Isaiah is making there. So, yeah, yeah. yeah we, uh, we're seeing those mountains in, in chapter 24, and then here in chapter 25, we're focusing in on just a specific high mountain. And actually, I'm going to pull that up real quick and screen share again real quick, because um, that, to me, is a lot of fun. We got this high mountain here, which you've seen. The summit is like the throne of God. Now, Ken, didn't we read in, was it 23 or 24, where it says the top of it is like pure sapphire? Yeah, yeah, that was in 24, yeah. And then we see that sapphire is actually one of the layers of the foundation of the New Jerusalem. And then um, it's my personal speculation from uh, from the descriptions in Exodus 24.10 and from also Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter 10 where people seeing something as the likeness. So they're speaking in simile fashion. They're comparing what they're seeing to the likeness of the body of heaven. And as we've defined so many times <laughs> in this particular uh, uh, in this particular show, that the word heaven is comes from the firmament. That's what the, the name heaven was given to the, the structure of the firmament. So in uh, Exodus twenty four ten and Ezekiel chapter one and ten, you know they're they're describing seeing something that's crystalline or sapphire like, and they're describing it as if being like the body of heaven. And so that's where my personal theory is that it is the firmament itself is made of a form of sapphire. And if people aren't familiar, sapphire is is it comes in all colors and it comes in clear. So you know you can it's just it's the most abundant uh, type of crystal uh, substance on the earth, and it's great with reflecting lights and acoustics for sound. So it'd be a perfect thing to build a roof with over a huge creation like like the firmament. That's right, and it's shaped kind of like an amplifier, right? Like a like the cone of a right. of a speaker. Yeah, that's if right. You're blowing a, if you're blowing a trumpet a massive trumpet and you know you have angel windpipes that are blowing into this thing and they're using the firmament as a potential speaker that that's interesting isn't it yeah man i mean you've got um well see to me it's like if if the throne of zion where yeshua is is sitting on um and i hear what you're saying i'm just uh i'm trying to add to it right so say if he's sitting at the at you know the top of zion and it's this refashioned firmament, as Revelation 21 talks about. And that's that Greek word kainos, which doesn't mean new. That would be the Greek word neos. It means kainos, which is a refashioning of the heavens, of the firmament, is what uh, Revelation 21.1, John is seeing. 
And he's got to do that because that firmament was opened up to let down the New Jerusalem, right? When he rolled it back like a scroll in uh, Revelation 6.14 and um, Isaiah 34.4. And so this this refashioned firmament, to me, if it if it still retains in any capacity the shape of a dome like you're talking about, it's basically a huge, you know, amplifying shape of like a little satellite that sits on top of your house. You know, and so uh, wouldn't that be amazing for the voice of the Lord of God to speak and everyone would hear him because it's just amplified, yeah. you know. And now, obviously, he's got a, probably a larger voice than us anyway. But, you know, it reminds me of uh, the story of Moses in Mount Sinai because you've got him speaking, the people hearing it, and it's such a loud, thunderous type of speaking that they asked, you know, hey, don't speak to us, just just you know, the thundering of his voice. And so it, may, it makes me wonder, like, is that another foreshadowing of the kingdom to come where this this refashioned firmament with the new Jerusalem sent down through it and the, the throne of Messiah is at the very top of Mount Zion. And when he speaks, the entire world will hear the instructions. And that's how Isaiah 2, 2 is fulfilled. And the law goes forth from Zion because it's just, you've got it. Yeah, he, he made himself a big megaphone. I was going to say it'd be a pretty impressive PA system. It's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He, and everyone, people, you know, time to gather for the Feast of Trumpets. Yes. Feast of Tabernacles. If you want rain, you must yeah. rain. This is the Lord. Yeah, and so it makes me, the reason why I talk like that is because when it says the top of Mount Zion is like pure sapphire, I'm wondering what color for, for first of all, is it clear? Is it is it bright, brilliant yellow color looking like gold? Is it blue? You know, is it purple? Like, I don't know. Is it a mixture of all? Is it just infused with this beautiful mixture of colors like the rainbow? Um, I have no idea, you know. Um, I know that there's a rainbow behind the throne in Ezekiel in his vision, but um yeah, I just it's amazing to me because it seems to and, and the walls of the New Jerusalem itself seem to be of a crystalline type structure like the firmament. So whatever this is, the father really likes it. Whatever this structure is, he's using it in a lot of his building materials. Yeah. And uh, he really, really likes it. And it's extremely hard and durable on the Bohr scale of density and, and hardness. It's like a nine out of ten. Um, and I think diamonds are just barely above it as far as, you know, strength of, of hardness. So um well, it's got to be, um, yeah, it's got to be a really tough structure if it's holding the amount of water that, could, you yeah. know, if there's a sea above our heads and who knows how deep that, that could be. I mean, that pressure, that weight that would be on that structure is, is intense, right? Yeah. And then other firmaments above that, as we, as we've read and discussed and studied. Right. So, um, and apparently lands and trees and mountains and, you know, an entire distance above us being held up by the firmament directly above our heads and so therefore um that could be like we've joked about in private conversation ken that could be why on day two that was the only thing he focused on was the firmament directly above our heads because it supports the most weight it supports everything above it yeah yeah that makes sense and it, and it protects us i mean just would, could be we create that first though right as a foundation type thing but i don't know well, no, not if not if us or where we were, like Genesis one was just flooded, and he didn't have to protect it. You know, it was just yeah, that's true, water yeah. blowing. You know, a big abyss basically, with uh, unformed earth in it. So, yeah, yeah man. Um, Sean, that, the, so um, yeah. What's I up? Just gonna, I was just going to say at the beginning of this chapter, I find it, and this is another conversation you know I had off air, but um, I find it funny just how you know the angels kind of how they interact, how they speak with, you know, is, is it almost robotic how they speak? Cause it, you know, what he's saying to Enoch here is why, why are you asking me in regards to this, 
the fragrance of this tree? Why do you want to learn this truth? It's like, well, hello. Um, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I, I wasn't endowed with the type of knowledge that you you were when you know you were created. So it's just funny how they ask, like, why do you want to know this? And then you know, just basically says, well, I desire to know everything, but you know, I want to know this tree. He's like, okay, good answer. I'll tell you what it is. Yeah, and that, <laughs> it's I think funny that, how they interact, you know. Yeah, they uh, like I've said, you know, another time that um, I like to write, and so doing that you you have to introduce characters develop the characters and you have to give them personality otherwise no one wants to read about that character and so when i see angels they seem like the most boring people in the world um, as far as like their personality seems to be relatively non-existent but then once you and i as we, we've studied shalai you know this agency concept and we understand that how god uses that all throughout the scriptures he uses it with his angels he uses it with his priests he uses it you know with everyone with obviously with his messiah and so he gives them the message to go do and say, and they're under that responsibility to not mess it up, right? To not add to it, to take away from it, but to give the message as it is. That's right. And uh, apparently they're trained to deal with, you know, small questions at times, like we see in uh, Genesis 18 and 19, and we see that in uh, the burning bush moment, Exodus 3 and 4 with Moses, as he's having a full-on conversation with this angel inside the bush, but yet it's not... Um, <laughs> It's not actually, you know, he's not speaking directly to God. And I've heard some people try to explain it like like it's uh, um, like the angel itself is just basically um, a conduit, if you will, like a proxy for the father just to talk through them. It's an interesting theory. It's kind of a modern, you know, computer sci-fi theory. It's an interesting theory. Um, what I see in the Hebrew scriptures falls more in line with just him having people, his servants, his ministers that he trusts with his message to go and speak to humans about the message you're trying to give. And, and of course, they're probably trained because they're walking in a of white righteousness. If they do have to interact in any ways beyond this central core message, they're only, they're only barely, you know, touching, skirting the outside of the message to answer any superfluous questions. But ultimately, they're staying on message. You know, they've been trained. They're, they're trusted to go and do that. Um, and then that way, they're not just like a, a blank host body like an avatar that the father's speaking through they're an actual sentient being with its own will as we've seen all throughout the book of enoch and these guys apparently can choose not to obey at some point if they want to that's right so they have their own sentient will yeah yeah man there's a lot to it um but yeah the, the angel is just basically telling him he's giving them the message and it's so funny because i think this is probably like the third time now we've seen an angel asking why are you asking about this yeah. <laughs> well it's even, it's even funnier in other books man like um in second Ezra's and second Baruch, they're always, they're constantly asking like, why, why are you desirous to know these questions? Like, <laughs> well, because, like, it's just so funny. You'd think that they know why they're asking that. Right. You know, there's <laughs> a, like they have to ask that question. And then if, if they answer it appropriately or, you know, it suffices. And since they're, like you said, like an agent to Yahweh, Yahweh hears it through them and he said, yeah, okay, tell them, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. I, you know, several years ago, I knew a guy, um, he was a pastor and uh, he claimed that he had had visitation from angels because he was praying about his son going overseas on a mission trip, but his son was uh, in a wheelchair and had some physical handicap. So he was really afraid because he didn't want to send his son overseas to be, you know, kidnapped or or what, something worse, because the son could literally physically not defend himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just in case anything bad happened, he just felt, you know, overprotective as you, as any father would for a child in that circumstance. 
So he said he was praying about it for months and months. And, and guys, as I tell this story, just realize that this is a story from a guy that I knew in the past, a pastor in the past. And I took his word for it, just like everything. We want to test it to scripture, take it with a grain of salt. I'm not saying this is absolute truth. This is just the story he told. But he said months later, he was um, he was on his tractor and his, you know, he had several acres he was mowing. And he saw some angels show up out of the sky and come down to the ground. Uh, and, and he had to stop his tractor because they just showed up like, you know, 20, 30 feet in front of his tractor. So he gets off the tractor and walks up to him. And they uh, basically came to give him an answer about his son. And they said to him, um, apparently there was several, like two or three angels. But the one that was speaking and the one that he said seemed to be in charge was one that looked younger than the other two. And he said they all looked like they were, you know, in their early 20s. And he said that they were just dressed like casually with some sort of like tan looking pants of some sort with just like a white shirt yeah. and uh and he said that they um uh the 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 guy the kid that was why well, he called him a kid right because the guy that's telling the story is like in his 50s and he's saying this angelic kid what looked like a 18 or 19 year old kid had really blonde hair and um he looked like a what he described him as a surfer boy from california which you know we know not everybody in california looks like that the point is <laughs> He said this this younger looking angel spoke to him and said, I just got back from from there, from the place he was praying about his son to go to in Africa. He said, I just got back from there and I've I've ensured that your son will be okay. That's interesting. Well, you know what's what's interesting, Sean, is when you well, said that. One second, don't mean to interrupt you. One second. The rest of the story goes, and I'm I'm saying this because of what you said, why these angels are asking asking Enoch, why are you asking us this stuff? Just like in Ezra and, and Baruch. So at this point, the guy telling me the story. He replies back to the angel and he says, all he says is, are you sure? And he said the angel got visibly upset. Like he was like kind of straightened his posture a little bit and like clenched up. And he was like, I told you, I just got back from there and everything will be okay. It's okay to send your son. And like he was speaking like with authority and was like visibly, physically, you know, um, affected by being questioned. You know, and so um, I think that that's fascinating. I don't know if that story is true or not, but it's interesting to see whenever angels are questioned, like they try to stay on message. That Yeah, that is fascinating, man. And what was interesting, I mean, the whole story is interesting, but when you said that they would describe the angel as looking young in appearance, like looking younger than some of the other ones, um, an angel that we're going to come across, just a very quick, brief mention on the last chapter of tonight's episode is, uh, in 32, where it talks about Zotael. He passes by the angel Zotael. Yeah. yeah. That means, in, the, in Hebrew, it means little one of God. So, Hey, can you, can you see that again, just in case the uh, viewers couldn't hear it? You really cut out on my end. Oh, sorry, yeah. What, is, what does Zotael mean? Zotael means the little one of God. Oh, wow. Okay. So, Maybe you're the guy in the story there that you just told saw the little one of God. Zotel. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, but he said they were moving like, um, you know, like Superman speed. And they had to slow themselves down to uh, to come down to the ground to him. And then they they walked up what looked like an imaginary staircase back up to like 20, 30 feet in the air and then took off at Superman speed again. And uh, he said he was just but see this guy. I mean, this is where, you know, you, you want to take everything with a grain of salt. This guy claims, you know, during why well, he used to pastor a church uh, that he had been he had had visitations of angels a couple different times and even once by Yeshua himself. And so he's got quite a few stories, you know, and um, he was the actual head of the Bible college that I attended at that time. Um, nice guy. You know, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm not saying he's lying. I just think that it's interesting 
because it's a personal experience and no one else is there witnesses. So it's kind of just one of those things. But yet he sent his son on this missionary trip and his son was not harmed and everything went okay. So, you know, I don't know. It's just strange, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, we definitely see angelic visitation all throughout scripture and that's how the father does things, you know? So it's a very interesting story. Um, Sean. So, I mean, there's more in this chapter, obviously that we can talk yeah. about. Um, you know, the fragrant tree that no mortal is permitted to touch until the great judgment. What do you think? Well, I'm, I'm thinking that's obviously the tree of life from the previous chapter. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking as well. It, yeah. It's just in, in typical Enoch fashion. It's like he's, you know, he gives this, this introduction from 24 and then he spends all this time, even into 25, expounding and expounding and expounding. You know? That's right. I mean, verse, what, verse five says right there, shall be food for the elect. And yeah. then it goes on to in verse six, how it talks about it's going to be a fragrance that'll be, you know, in their bones. And it sounds very tree of life esque for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I don't know what the fragrance in your bones means. And I don't think I, I mean, that's fascinating. Um, well, in second Ezra, Sean, um, chapter 212, it says the tree of life shall give them fragrant perfume and they shall neither toil nor become weary. So I don't know if it's like a, also a perfume that we're going to, I don't know if it's going to be like you only eat from the actual cluster or if we're going to be, you know, pressing this stuff into oil. We're going to be spraying our, our linen cloth, our white linen robes with tree of life perfume or our essential oil mist that we're going to put inside of our rooms prepared for us. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I definitely think that we'll even be able to eat from the tree of life, but we see other instances in Isaiah and other places where there's other food prepared. Um, that we can have. I mean, we're just, I don't think it's just going to be one food. I think that we're going to have an abundance of all the goodness that God created and intended for mankind to eat and just be purified. You know, it won't be corrupted anymore. It won't have Monsanto trying to genetically modify it. So um, I think that it's going to be great. Uh, verse six and seven, as you're reading, is that in verse six, it says that, um, and they shall live a long life on earth, such as their fathers live, excuse me, such as your fathers live. And if you speak in Enoch, and we're talking about, you know, Jared and Mahalalel and, and you know, and yeah, they're and getting all the 900s. Guys. Yeah. I mean, those guys, Adam lives in what, 930? So, yep. I mean, we're talking like, um, now, of course, we know that the tree of life is meant for those who are resurrected and that they shall live a long life on earth, which is called forever, <laughs> which is called eternally. They live, you know, as long as they can. As long as they'll never die, and this is what actually we get from context of chapter 5, where Enoch, verses 6 through 9, and in the fifth chapter there, tells us that they'll have eternal gladness and joy. Yeah, and that definition of Elam is eternal. That's in right. That sense. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the context of it. And of course, you know, you're watching Honor of Kings on the channel, Kingdom in Context, and we try to keep everything in context. So when we get previous information, we can't let future information just completely wipe out all the context of the previous information we want to put it all together and try to weigh it out and keep it as contextually sound as possible that will help us go through these things um because we are going to read about some stuff in later chapters of because the book of enoch goes into what 106 107 chapters or something like that yeah so once we get to chapters like 70 and 80 guys there's some things in there that um that we're going to read that may seem contradictory to stuff we've already read but that's why we're doing this show right we want to dig in we want to dissect it we want to test it 
and we want to hold it all to the American Canon of 66 and make sure that the prophets we have in those collection of scriptures match up with the descriptions and the things being referenced and spoken about in the book of Enoch. Yeah, so that's, that's right. where um, there's a lot there, man. But what's good is that um, uh, it says also at the end of verse six, it says in their days, they shall not uh, in their days shall no sorrow or plague or torment or calamity touch them. So to me, this is just another great description of those who've been resurrected. They can eat from the tree of life. That's right. So there's no sickness, there's no death, there's no calamity. They're living in peace. It is their, you know, it is our eternal Shabbat, right? And then we're not going to have any sickness or any plague because we're continually doing the righteousness of God, which is what Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28 talks about. We're doing these works of righteousness, therefore we'll have nothing but blessing because our heart has been, as Enoch chapter 5 tells us, we're given this heart that cannot sin. We've been resurrected and created where we cannot sin. Therefore, we will not get any of the curses of Deuteronomy 27. Um and there, which means no death either, right? So we'll, we'll live forever. Amen. Can't wait. Very practical, very tangible, and uh, very relatable to what God gave us in, in His instructions in Genesis through Deuteronomy. Yeah. So, hey, do you want to? Uh, or I can I can take over twenty six, right? Yeah. I think the next few are relatively short. He's got six verses in twenty six, and then twenty seven is just a couple of verses, maybe. Yeah. But five. But yeah, I'll just start reading twenty six. You still there, Ken? Yeah, I'm still here, Sean. Yeah. Cool, brother. All right, guys. Um, so Enoch 26, verse 1, it says, And I went from thence to the middle of the earth, and I saw a blessed place in which there were trees with branches abiding and blooming of a dismembered tree. And I saw, and there I saw a holy mountain, and underneath the mountain to the east there was a stream, and it flowed toward the south. And I saw towards the east another mountain higher than this, and between them a deeper and narrow ravine, and in it also ran a stream underneath the mountain. And to the west thereof there was another mountain, lower than the former and of small elevation, and a ravine deep and dry between them, and another deep and dry ravine was at the extremities of the three mountains. And all the ravines were deep and narrow, being formed of hard rock, and the trees were not planted upon them. And I marveled at the rocks, and I wondered, and excuse me, I marveled at the ravine. Yea, I marveled very much. So on this is this is one of those chapters that um, it becomes a challenge for me at least as to what Enoch's orientation is. But yeah, verse one says that he was taken to Middle Earth. Is this like a Lord of the Rings type of uh, setting here? <laughs> I went to the middle of the Earth. Um, <laughs> I'm man, just joking. That's... It's the the Middle Earth, right? The middle of the Earth. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and this is where we've talked about in previous chapters. One of the big challenges of the book of Enoch, as far as having the translation we do today, is every time we see the word earth, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one that we try to, because in the Hebrew, you know, you just have haretz, right? And then in the Greek, like, you see the word, the word uh, for world being spoken of, and it's speaking about the creation. And so the word haretz in the Greek just means land. And so sometimes that's why you'll see descriptions and, and passages where it talks about the whole land or the whole earth um, or, or everywhere under heaven, like in Deuteronomy 30, verse 4, where it, that would be everywhere under ferment on the entire circle of the earth. So like okay. he says, he's bringing back those who are scattered from everywhere under the heaven, from the extremities of the heaven. Um, but when it just says a random word earth thrown in here and it says in the middle of the earth, are we talking about the middle of the land or are we talking about underneath the land somewhere down like in Sheol? 
Yeah, good question, man. It is hard to... Like, what's what's the orientation of saying middle? On what X, Y, Z axis are we talking here? Yeah. So, so yeah, this is definitely in some challenging areas of the Book of Enoch for Canada. If anyone has any questions or any insights to some of that stuff, please leave them in the comments below because yeah. we'd love to hear from you. Well, he, he definitely marveled at this ravine um, that were deep and narrow and formed yeah. of hard rock. And they're, they're apparently there's no trees planted upon them. And so there's something quite, quite astonishing. Yeah, there's something here. It's, but of course, I think we're going to get the context, I think, in the next chapter. Yeah. Why don't we just go there, Sean? Okay. So we, we, he looked at several mountains, some smaller than the others, a bunch of ravines. Do you want to start out with 27? Sure. Okay, man. Let me uh, pull that up real quick. All right, 27. Then said I, for what object is this blessed land, which is entirely filled with trees, and this accursed valley between? Then Uriel, one of the holy angels who was with me, answered and said, This accursed valley is for those who are accursed forever. Here shall all the accursed be gathered together who utter with their lips against the Lord unseemly words, and of his glory speak hard things. Here shall they be gathered together, and here shall they be placed. Or sorry, and here shall be their place of judgment. Yeah, so I mean, we we had discussed this. Um, you know, my, my thoughts were a couple different things, but I think contextually, because we we see that it's a place of judgment, that there's only really one place of ju of true judgment, right? The second death, um, yeah. place. <laughs> That's yeah, I think so, and I think Enoch expounds a little further on it too. Do you want to keep reading the next three verses? Oh yeah, sure, yeah, and. In the last days there shall be upon them the spectacle of righteous judgment in the presence of the righteous forever. Here shall the merciful bless the Lord of glory, the eternal King. In the days of judgment over the former, they shall bless him for the mercy in accordance with which he has assigned them their lot. Then I blessed the Lord of glory and set forth his glory and lauded him gloriously. All right. I, man, I, I'll... Nope, Sean, you there, buddy? I'm not sure. Is it me that's cutting out, or is it Sean? Hello? Okay, guys. Hello. Oh, I'm still here. Okay. Well, I'll just I'll just quickly scan through the comments here to see if there's any questions that I could possibly answer while Sean's getting the power back up on his computer. Hey, what's up, man? I'm back. You're back, Sean. That was quicker right. than last time. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for your power punctual. went out. I don't know what's going on, man. It's uh, so I just had to. It was a quicker reboot this time because there was less things going on, on my computer. So okay. But uh, yeah, sorry about that. No problem. So you just finished reading uh, verse five. I don't know how. Did you already read verse twenty or chapter twenty-eight? Uh, it was the second slide of that chapter that I was reading. Okay, I, and I had finished it. 
So. Yeah, there's a, uh, to, to me, let me uh, pop up this real quick. To me, it looks like, um, it looks like this accursed valley is there, they're accursed there forever. Here shall be all the accursed be gathered together who utter with their lips against the Lord unseemly words, speak harsh things, gathered for judgment together. Um, and in the last days, so to me, this to me, it looks like the con the context is the last days, this valley is brought into play. Yeah. And it is for judgment. And as we've already read previously with this, you know, Book of Enoch, especially uh, two episodes ago, where we discussed Sheol and Tartarus and the Lake of Fire and things like that. Um, and and the, con the chronology, chronology of the time frame, as far as like people being in Sheol, the souls being in Sheol, waiting either resurrection or to be judged and thrown in the lake of fire at the end of the millennium. So this seems to me to be speaking again about he's seeing it again. He's seeing the, the areas or the mountains around the, the, the geography, the territory, the region, if you will, around the lake of fire. And in these valleys is where the lake of fire will be. It's kind of my best reading of it. Yeah, no, I, I see that as well. Because I don't see any other place in scripture or in the canon or any of the extra biblicals or anything that talks about another place of judgment. Yeah. Well, it was just hard for me to discern because of what we were talking about before, you know, directionally, where, where is he being taken here? Because if this was on our ground in our land uh, below the ferment, then the accursed valley where they get gathered together, it sounds kind of like the, the, the Valley of Armageddon, possibly, because there's a judgment that takes place there, right? I mean, the nation, the nations that gather themselves into that valley and they get, you know, pressed like the great wine press. So uh, it, at first glance, I thought maybe that fit, but no, you're right. It contextually is talking about the uh, the lake of fire here for sure. If, if he's viewing these mountains and the throne and he didn't go, I know he says go to the middle of the earth. And again, that's why I said it's so challenging that that word earth seems to throw us off. Is it is it saying that he's going to the middle of the land, the land he was previously looking at with the throne of, of Yeshua and the seven tall mountain or the seven mountains, you know? Yeah. Is that, See, that, is that, that what the was, context was, is? Uh, yeah, I would have thought that was above the ferment for sure, that part. But then when it immediately after said that he went to the middle of the earth, a spot in the middle of the earth. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. That maybe yeah. he's still in he's still in that area above the ferment, but he goes to the middle of the land that he was already viewing. Yeah. Because a minute here in a few chapters, we're gonna look at how he goes to a desert and he's looking at stuff, and I don't know if he's above the ferment or below. So we'll we'll have to dig into that too. Sure. Yeah. But but yeah, apparently from the stuff we read, I think at the introduction of the Lake of Fire in episode six, it looks like the Messiah or God, the Lord of glory oversees the Lake of Fire, how it's close to him in a sense. Uh, it's where he can basically see it because, you know, it's such dire judgment. You know, I guess he wants to keep a close eye on him, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. But uh, either way, did you already? All right. I can pick up 28. Yeah, sure. Okay, really? So uh, let me just see if I can get this to work again for us. All right, so Enoch 28. And thence I went towards the east into the midst of the mountain range of the desert, and I saw a wilderness, and it was solitary, full of trees and plants. Water gushed forth from above, rushing like a copious watercourse, which flowed towards the northwest. It caused clouds and dew to ascend on every side. So... I think that's all of uh, that's all of this one, but Ken, what's fascinating to me is this idea here that um, it, it says he, he went to a I saw a wilderness and it was a solitary place full of trees and plants. 
So to me, those descriptions don't match. Yeah, it's really, it's odd. Most of the time when we see the word wilderness, we think there's nothing there, right? But this is full of trees and plants. So this actually goes back to my theory when I'm reading Revelation 12 and other places um, about Zion and the New Jerusalem, and it talks about being a wilderness bereaved of its inhabitants. And so I think the term wilderness can many times be referring to a place that is just without people and not necessarily without vegetation or land, you know, yeah. um, or bushes or trees or anything. So it's just without, and that's why it's called a wilderness. And so it's almost as if the context of that term has to do with the occupancy from mankind and not, and not from natural vegetation and life. Yeah. That's just, a, that's a plausible theory. Yeah. Yeah. Which would be like if you're, you know, taking the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness. Well, they still, you know, when they, when they got in there, it was a as a barren place, and they were asking for food and stuff. There was no vegetation there. They had, you know, Moses had to get the water from the rock. They had the quail that dropped. They had the banner that dropped. So this may give people this idea because we we call that the wilderness all the time, and the, and the text does too. Don't get me wrong, but that may be where we've associated the word wilderness all this time with being a place of just utter barrenness with no food or water or anything. But this yeah. place clearly is much, I mean, we've got apparently, and what do you think about when it says uh, rushing water, like a copious water course flowed towards the Northwest. It caused clouds and dew to ascend on every side. Does it sound like a waterfall or does it yeah. sound like it's, yeah, okay. it's a, I think they're waterfalls or cataracts or something like that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So basically um, this actually sounds like a really nice place. <laughs> it does. Well, you know, it's the, the word desert, um, stood out to me just because we're going to get to a chapter in Enoch later on in the 50s um, that talks about an interesting creature, Sean, that was created on on the fifth day, behemoth. And he was brought and placed into the desert. And it says it somewhere in, uh, in one of the extra biblical texts that he was brought into a desert as well where there's like a thousand hills or something. So I was just wondering, you know, I wonder if... <laughs> This might have been a spot where where behemoth was brought. Well, you know, it's possible. Um, obviously, we found some kind of connection there. But I also have to remind myself that you know, if we have all this land below the firmament, and we and we have studied the biblical creation model, right? Which which I I may start calling the firmament model because that seems to be the crux of it. But if we have the circle of the earth with land covered by a firmament according to scripture. And within that landmass, we have, you know, mountainous areas, we have plateaus, we have plains, uh, we have all these geographical formations, as well as regional concepts of land, of desert, right? Is it possible that above the firmament, where we've already seen Enoch be taken to and shown land up there and mountains up there, is it possible that we're seeing deserts up there? And he could see a desert, I mean, like the desert in China is like, what, 300 miles long, you know? And... It's it's what we would typically classify as a desert, right? A bunch of sandy area that's barren with no vegetation, no plants, no life. You know, very few people even try to exist out there. But yet it's a massive, massive area of land, but still within just one portion of one country on this entire circle of Earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it makes me wonder. I have to remind myself, okay, according to all these descriptions we have both in Scripture and in the Book of Enoch, there is entire topographies of land above us with all the different natural variations that we seem to see down here where we are under the firmament. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It really does. 
So it's just, it's kind of mind blowing, really. I mean, it really gets you out of, because we've been so indoctrinated with this heliocentric model to think that we're it, that we're the only thing on the ground, you know, but yeah. this biblical model tells a very different story. <laughs> yeah, amen. And, and speaking of that, we got a, we got a comment in the, the comment section here from Valerie saying she likes that the firmament model, quote unquote, she likes the sound of that. I like it too. And I think I'm going to try to train myself to start saying maybe a crystalline firmament model or crystalline firmament enclosed earth, something that, cause you know how scholars will take the word firmament and completely ignore you know, the definition. Yeah, exactly. So if you, you put the actual structure and what um, content in front of it, <laughs> there you go. Crystalline firmament right. model. Yeah. The firmament, the crystalline firmament model. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something to get people to kind of wake up to the idea that scripture says something different. And it blows my mind on this particular topic, how difficult it is for some to actually even consider a different creation model when the Bible itself on so many other issues in their life, we're talking about people that are already believers, right? So many other issues in their life, they already believe that the world teaches them something contrary to what Bible teaches, right? The world teaches that, you know, you can go out and behave however you want. And no matter where you, whether you're, you've come to the, the understanding of Torah observance or not, even if you're still in a mainstream church and you're just being told by the pastor that, you know, you shouldn't kill people and steal from people and you should, you know, behave and walk in love and walk in the spirit, you know that distinction is you cannot behave however you want. You're supposed to adopt your behavior to the example we saw in Jesus Christ. That's right. So, so already we have this dichotomy that we're not to be like the world, right? We're not to do the behavior that the world teaches and promotes and endorses. Yet when we when we when we cross that line somewhere of trying to explain that this is what the world teaches us the creation looks like and this is what God teaches us the creation looks like, so many believers have such a hard time making that mental switch to think, wait a minute, the world's lied to me about every single other thing. What if it lied to me about the way the creation looks? You know, what I mean, it's just amazing to me. Um, but yeah, it's really tough. It's it's a tough indoctrination. Boy, is it ever. And I'm sure many of us who believe in, you know, what the Bible says about all the descriptions of creation have encountered the knee jerking and the, the angst and, and all that fun stuff that we have to deal with. But you know what? The truth is the truth. It, yeah, it absolutely. It looks like we have another question from the chat. Um, let me see if I can find it here. It says, uh, how many writers do you think are involved in the book of Enoch besides Enoch himself? That's a good one because we see that um, Noah kind of takes over a few chapters. Yeah, and I believe towards Methuselah. The end, right? Yeah, Methuselah, if I'm not mistaken, also seems to narrate one chapter or something. I could be mixing that up, but yeah, it might be a couple. Yeah, we've got, uh, as far as I can tell, like you just said, it's, it's not just Enoch. Um, it's uh, Enoch, Methuselah, and Noah. So, and that's, that's given us from the, what was found with the Dead Sea Scrolls that matched up with the Ethiopian uh, version that they had, and they matched them up to find that it was, you know, the same, but it seems to be a compilation because there were some fragments missing, but it seems to be a, comp a compilation of the writings of Enoch and then a couple of, you know, chapters or even maybe just one from Methuselah, but then we got the, the scroll of Noah that's thrown in there. And so that talks more from a first person perspective of Noah. That's and right. as far as I can tell, that's the only three. And of course, we got the book of Jubilees that gives us this great insight that Noah had these books of his fathers with him that he carried with him on the boat through the flood and that he even passed them down to Shem and Abraham's reading them at one point. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is not uncommon, guys. I mean, we're talking 
you know, this is just think about how we've passed down books today and how we, we treasure good writings today. And we're getting a literal descendant of, of Enoch himself, who was considered the scribe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like this guy was called the scribe. Supposedly, you know, he wrote a whole bunch of books yeah. and it would only stand to reason that those who followed his teachings of behavior of righteousness, like his descendants, Methuselah, Lamech, or Noah, would also keep his writings as well, especially when they talked about the coming deluge as prophecy. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's the best way I can put it, I guess. So here's one of the things, though, and I, I'm not saying that the guy asking the question or the person asking the question was going this way with it, but, but Ken, it does make me think it brings up the idea of, you know, this is why a lot of people will push against the book of Enoch because they claim that, well, since we don't know who wrote it or that we don't know how many people contributed to it, therefore it's not valid. And I'm sitting there going, that is, I don't know who sold you on that idea of how to test scripture. That's not, that's not, in my opinion, that's not how you test scripture. There are plenty of books in the Bible that we don't exactly know who wrote it yeah. and, or how many people contributed to it. And therefore, but we, it's already in the canon. It's in the canon that you would hold up as the pure word of God. You know, uh, right. the book of Deuteronomy and Hebrews are just two of them. Huge, major theological books. Yeah. You know? And no one ever questions, is Deuteronomy valid? You know, no one ever does that. So no one ever wonders, is, does, should Hebrews be in the New Testament? They, they don't even think the thought in their heads. So that's why we wanted to do this show. like Unless, unless you're Martin Luther, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. But he also wanted to take out, what, the book of James, too? And Revelation. Yeah. It's, I mean, the guy, very biased, very biased person. So... Um, again, I would love to sit down and have a, a cup of tea with Martin Luther and be like, how in the world are you evaluating scripture? And let me see what you know about, you know, the day of the Lord, the prophets, first resurrection, and these huge contextual themes that are all throughout the prophets that validate the writings of the apostles, Yeshua's words, things like the book of Hebrews. You know what I mean? So it's just, to me, it's, uh, it's I, I don't, it, it makes me question more and more and more all these quote unquote councils of men that we see and put up weight and authority in that we have in history. Because to me, it seems more and more like a council of distraction and, and obfuscation, you know, than it does looking for clarity of sound doctrine so that the people can be edified and know their God. Yeah. So, I mean, Amen. don't call me a critic, but I, I'm just trying to give it a, a sober analysis of what, if you look back at history with unbiased lens and you're like, why in the world would they make this decision and go through these links and then try to say that this, this is the only true word of God that you can read when it matches perfectly with books that they decided to take out. Like you're like, I, I just, it's interesting. Very interesting. It's very, very interesting, man. And the more you look into not even Enoch only or Jubilees, there's other books, guys, the more you see the, you know, there could potentially be nefarious reasons to remove these things because it just takes, it, it ends up creating craters within the, the plot line of the Bible. And, you know, and then unfortunately, because we trust in these men to make these decisions, that isn't anywhere in the Bible ever said by Yahweh, you know, to, you, you never see Yahweh endorsing a decision to be making councils of men to go and, and compile what, what they would deem as holy scripture. Then you get people creating all these crazy doctrines because they're trying to fill in the gaps that these other books just so happened to answer. Already so. yeah, yeah, they already answered it a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly right, brother. Um, did you read last or did I? I'm going to get us back to the text. I believe that uh, you did, so I can read. Okay, are we on 30? Or 29? We're on 29. We're on 29. Yeah, let me uh, pull up the screen for the viewers real quick. 
All right, brother. Enoch 29. All right. And thence I went to another place in the desert and approached to the east of this mountain range. And there I saw aromatic trees exhaling the fragrance of frankincense and myrrh. And the trees also were similar to the almond tree. Is that it for that chapter, Sean? <laughs> yeah, brother, that's it. You okay. want to read 32? Yeah, still talking about some trees. And beyond these, I went afar to the east, and I saw another place, a valley full of water. And therein there was a tree, the color of fragrant trees such as the mastic. And on the sides of those valleys, I saw fragrant cinnamon. And beyond these, I proceeded to the east. So he's seeing some trees with some yummy spices, right, Sean? Different he is. And I put up on the screen here uh, a mastic tree. I, I just pulled up this image. And these are some that are growing in Greece. And this was just a general design and a look and a feel for the mastic tree, which kind of looks like a big bonsai tree almost. Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. And so then apparently the mastic tree puts off a sweet gum, which is interesting. And then um, um, it also, I don't know if you could use that or not, but it, they also call it resin. But then it, it, they have these like clusters of fruits that look like grapes, you know, growing along a vine. Yeah. So that's interesting as well because... You know, again, is Enoch in this desert somewhere? It seems like he, well, he, I mean, he just passed through, so. I went to another place in the desert, approached in the east of this mountain range, and there I saw aromatic trees exhaling the fragrance of frankincense. Yeah, do we know of trees in present day ex exhaling the fragrances of myrrh, frankincense? In, in the <laughs> desert? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that wild? It is. And, well, apparently, the, the medicinal properties of this stuff, like it's very good in terms of dealing with gastrointestinal ailments and um, really, yeah, digestive system stuff for sure. Do you think that that has any correlation with the uh, the wise men who brought Jesus frankincense and myrrh? Um, well, the frankincense and myrrh are those are those different trees, or are they have the mastic tree too. Well, that's that. I don't know, but I'm saying besides the mastic tree, um, I'm just wondering if whatever trees he's looking at. I mean, yeah. as far as you and I can tell, this is still happening above the firmament. Is that right? I believe. I think it is. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just interesting that we we do know what frankincense is and what myrrh is. It was commonly used back in the day. Um, and to me, this just like uh, we're about to read with the sea that we're about to read about. This is another great example, Ken, of like what we talked about. I think it was the third episode or the fourth episode where we talked about chapter nine. So maybe it was the second episode then. But we talked about chapter nine, how it, it mentions some land areas with the, by the same name that we have after the flood. And, and right. so here we have all these trees mentioned and some of the odors and the smells commonly associated with the same things that we know today. So even though Enoch was pre-flood by like a thousand years, after the flood, we still have these same things, tangible stuff. And Enoch is speaking about these things above the firmament. So it's like it brings it into me, for me at least, it brings it into the reality of the creation that we live in could be perfected. Like, like the one above that's perfected. Like the creation we live in is corrupted because of our behavior. And we we deal, we, you know, mankind is is you know, Romans five twelve. you know, sin entered through Adam and, and death through man. And so this whole concept of that, now we do bad deeds. We do deeds that bring cursing both to ourselves and to the land itself, to the earth, the creation. Yeah, um, no, I agree, man, because if we all, if everyone just stopped, everyone on the earth stopped and decided to uphold the instructions for living, you know, God's law, 
and we're, we were successful. I think that we would, and we would give the lands their, their rests. Yeah. Do the yeah, proper Sabbath rest for the planting and everything. Yeah. yeah. Because that's why we get that promise in second Chronicles. Is it seven fourteen? Second Chronicles that if you, you know, turn from your wicked ways and seek my yeah. faith, I will heal your land. You know, and that's to me, that's the big promise we get at the return of the Messiah is he comes back and he, and this, we got all these other prophecies in Joel three and places where he heals the land because we've been destroying it. Yeah. And which is why in Revelation 11, it says now is the kingdom of God and he's come back to destroy those who actually comes back to, you know, to, to give judgment and gifts to, you know, to the elect. So those who are resurrected, the righteousness of God, the house of God, so to speak, but to the wicked, those who are destroying the earth, he comes to destroy those. And that's where, you know, um, once we start doing righteousness again, when he returns and all the world outside the new Jerusalem is also being taught the ways of his righteousness, which is called his law, then suddenly everyone, the land will heal itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so um, how fitting is it to me that you bring the king of glory at his birth and his incarnation as a baby, you bring him something that's similar from above the firmament. That's just something, I don't know. I haven't really thought about that. When we were studying for this, this episode that just kind of flew right by me when I read that, but. Yeah. I think I heard that the, um, is it the which one is it frankincense or myrrh that is used for like embalming or not embalming but preserving i guess i'm sorry brother you cut out can you say that one more time oh, just in case uh, you yeah i was just saying sean what I, i'm not sure if it was both frankincense or myrrh or just one or the other that is used for like burial um like ritual yeah it's the myrrh is it the myrrh yeah so i mean they and if, I, if i'm not mistaken i believe it was josephus um that donated the myrrh for to embalm Yeshua with before they wrapped him. And so really, and I, I, th- I did one time previously in my life, uh, I was actually writing a short story about that moment where Nicodemus and Joseph Marathia take the body of Jesus real quick, try to embalm him and wrap him and put him in the tomb before the Shabbat, you know, before the sun went down. And so they're hurrying to do this and they're having a conversation as they're remembering. And this is a fictional story I wrote, but they're having a conversation as they're remembering scripture as they're doing it, as they just watch scripture be fulfilled, you know, and it's kind of a mind blow for them as they're, but they, but they can't really take time to ponder it because they've got to get done before Shabbat starts, you know? So they're like, but I did the calculation on the, the jar of myrrh that he donated to embalm Yeshua in. And if you extrapolate it to modern day currency and value, it's like millions of dollars worth of myrrh that he, uh, that he donated. Wow. I have never heard that. That is that's yeah. a direct tie from Josephus to Yeshua, really. I mean, that's really, that's fascinating. No, no, Joseph of Arimathea. Oh, I thought you said Josephus. I thought you said I'm that sorry. back. Okay. I was yeah, going to say, why did you ask me to clarify? Yeah. If you need to, there's, there's a lot of cutting out on this live stream tonight. So ask me to clarify if you need, brother. Yeah, no problem, man. Doing good, doing good. All right. So uh, what else is in that chapter? Um, you read I think we pretty well. well. Pretty much. He's one of these places where he sees these trees. Um, another valley full of water. So, what does that mean? Is it like a big river, or are we looking at a big pond, or a lake, or what? Are we in? Uh, we're in thirty right now, are we? Yeah. If you look at thirty, verse one, it says, "And beyond these, I went afar to the east, and I right. saw another place, a valley full of water, and therein there was a tree, the color of fragrant trees, such as the mastic." So I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if this is like is. rivers running around a tree growing. Um, or what I don't know. But basically, yeah. this is a tree 
that um, has clusters of fruit on it, and it looks like the sides of that valley is fragrant cinnamon. Yeah. So <laughs> cinnamon is a healthy thing too, man. Yeah, it is. This is wild. I mean, to me, the tree clearly, whatever he, wherever he is, this place, I mean, is so aromatic, it's healthy. It, it yeah, smell the trees that are growing there, right? Well, the, the trees know. are exhaling their fragrance. Yeah, I almost, I almost wonder if it's just like they're more lively where they are, you know. And it also, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering about the wind itself flowing through this place, if there is any. Uh, maybe it's carrying the fragrances to him. I don't know. Maybe he's doing a flyby with the angel, and that's how he gets so close to him to smell him. I don't know. I, I mean, we're it's, some of it's a little vague, and we're trying to make the best of it. But um, yeah, there's a lot going on there. And but I know it seems boring. I always saw a valley with water and a tree, but then you really start to think about this. This is hap- This is not happening, as far as I can tell. This is not happening below the firmament. This is not happening down below. It, and it, I think it may. It may come down below here in later chapters, but where he is right now in 29 and 30 doesn't seem to be. Yeah, I would agree with that, Sean. Yeah. You want me to, did you read last or did I? I can't remember. Uh, I did. Okay, I'll read 31 real quick. Sure. And then uh, we'll, we'll jump over that one and see what's going on there. All right, so guys, it looks like Enoch 31, he says, I saw another, excuse me, I saw other mountains, and amongst them were groves of trees, and there flowed forth from them nectar, which is named Sarara, and Galbanum. And beyond these mountains, I saw another mountain to the east of the ends of the earth, whereon were aloe trees, and all the trees were full of stacti, being like almond trees. And when one burnt it, it smelt sweeter than any fragrant odor. And I'm going to go ahead and read. Uh, yeah, that's all of 31, actually. So I'll just stop right there for a minute. But, um, okay. yeah, man. So, so many fragrant things, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, so many healthy, vibrant. <laughs> things like aloe trees and stack day and yeah you know so like if i ever have time if i ever have the ability in the future to have my own land to plant a bunch of trees maybe i should just look in the book of enoch and plant all these trees (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know you can make all kinds of medicines and healthy things to eat with and oils and i mean it seems like you could just really i'm not i mean i hate to use the word hippie because that seems like a derogatory term but you know, it's like truly living off the land. Well, this is the land I want to live off of, you know? Kidding. Yeah. And what is Sarara? You ever heard that before? Sarara? I think we've heard of Galbanum. Oh, Sarara. Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard of that. I don't know exactly what Sarara is. I looked but... up Stack Day. Yeah? Um, what is that? It's a type of gum resin. Okay. So just like the mastic put off a resin. Maybe the stack. Oh, it's sorry. It's mixed. It's a resin that's mixed with galbanum, what we just saw earlier, and pure frankincense, and they burnt that on the tabernacle, on the altar of the tabernacle, apparently in Exodus. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the stack. Okay, that's right. I forgot about it being mentioned there. Um, yeah. So all those things that are mentioned in in Exodus that have to do with, you know, the altar, right? All the all the different spices and the, they're all there for a reason right i used to read that and think this is so boring what do i care about this right okay so it looks like um gablinum is also a like a sweet gum or resin that comes out of a, a tree so i wonder if sarara is like that as well because we already got and we got mastic which is produces its own sweet gum resin yeah so interesting. Huh, it's interesting 
And yes, all these things definitely correspond with the temple and the descriptions we're getting Exodus and Leviticus. Which, you know, and of course there's that famous ingredient that we're not supposed to make. I think it's an Exodus 30, you know, for that, that type of balm or ointment that they were supposed to be anointed with and that you're not supposed to make, like, apparently it'd be bad if you did. I don't, I, only under the circumstances of anointing a high priest in the temple. So, I don't know if I know what you're referring 30. to. Uh, it's Exodus 30. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it, but see if I can find the verse real quick. <laughs> Exodus chapter 30, I believe. Maybe it's maybe I got it wrong. Maybe it's Numbers 30. Uh, the altar of incense. Um, the anointing oil is what it is. Yeah, I think it's in a. Verses 22 through 33 of Exodus 30. Oh, okay. Take for yourselves fine spices, flowing myrrh, 500 shekels, a fragrant cinnamon, half as much, 250, a fragrant cane, 250, acacia, uh, and of acacia, 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil of hen. Make these as a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture. The worker of the perfume, it shall be a holy anointing oil. And uh, the table, anoint the table, the utensils, the lampstand, the utensils, altar of incense, altar of burnt offering, the utensils, and the laver, and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be holy. Whatever touches them shall be holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister as priests to me. Um, I, think that's, I think that's the oil. I could be wrong. Uh, wait one second. Let me read further down. The incense. Um, the Lord said to Moses, Take for yourself spices of stacti and anica and galbanum, Spices with pure frankincense, and there shall be an equal part of each. With it you shall make an incense of perfume, the worker of the perfume, salted, pure, and holy. You shall beat some of it very fine and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting, where I will meet with you. It will be most holy to you. The incense which you shall make, you shall not make in the same proportions for yourselves. It shall be holy to you for the Lord. Whoever shall make any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's in yep. verses 34 through 38. And um, it's all what, the same ingredients, minus, you know, plus a little bit of salt, it looks like, that we're reading about from these trees. Yeah, I was just going to say, everything you just read there, it was yeah. a bunch of those uh, were already written. So. That's, that's pretty wild. So, yeah. again, it doesn't, doesn't tell us that Enoch made any kind of incense from it, but it does mention in, in this verse 30 or chapter 31 I just read, and verse three, and when and when one burnt it, it smelled sweeter than any fragrant odor. So someone's burning it. How does he know what it smells like when it's burnt? Yeah, I don't. I don't. Could there be potentially angels there burning it? Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, we see in later verse that he flies by one angel's tail or whatever his yeah, name is. Just gives him a drive by. Just hey, drive by yeah. with whatever, however this is happening, and uh, in this vision. But, um, and that's where as a writer, I get so frustrated because I'm like, you know, Enoch, you said you're a scribe, bro. Where's your adjectives? You know, like what's, <laughs> what's going on with this thing? Help me out. Give me something yeah. to work with. I want such vague descriptions, you know? And I'm just like, it's very, very challenging and frustrating at the same time. I need yeah. more explanation. So he wasn't thinking, yeah, he wasn't thinking about his stuff. audience that would be reading his stuff, you know, 5,000 years later, but. Right. Yeah. I don't know how many of them could read and write back in, back in his day. I don't, I mean, it did say that men were writing. What's that? He was the first one to learn writing and, and yeah. reading and all that according to Jubilees. 
Yeah, which, you know, I guess until that that wore off, people would revere him for that. But, um, yeah, it's interesting just to think of a world where people are just without writing and and reading books. And and then here comes some dude that puts puts your words down and tries to make you understand what the symbols mean on paper. And he puts those papers together in some sort of scroller book. And then he starts doing it continually. And you're like, dude, you got the strangest hobby. What are you doing? You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's, yeah. There's perspective. I'd be, I'd be love to be a fly on the wall with a little camera back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to read the next chapter, Sean? Yeah, man. You want to jump in 32? Yeah. I think this is the last chapter for the evening. eh? It is. Let me uh, live stream it and, or let me uh, screen share it. And here we are. It's ready. All right. Chapter 32. And after these fragrant odors, as I looked towards the North over the mountains, I saw seven mountains full of choice nard and fragrant trees and cinnamon and pepper. And thence I went over the summits of all these mountains far towards the east of the earth and passed over the Erythrean Sea and went far from it and passed over the angel Zotel. Yeah. I love seeing that there's pepper there, Sean. That there's pepper on everything. (laughs) Yeah, there's pepper there. Um, okay, so did you want to did you want to read the the rest of the chapter and then we can make a couple statements on it? Yeah, sure. Okay, just one second. Let me go back and screen share again, and then. Um, okay. And after these, oh, okay. And I came to the garden of righteousness, and saw beyond those trees many large trees growing there. And of goodly fragrance, or sorry, of goodly fragrance, large, very beautiful, and glorious. And the tree of wisdom, whereof they eat and know great wisdom. That tree is in height like the fir, and its leaves are like those of the carob tree. And its fruit is like the clusters of the vine, very beautiful. And the fragrance of the tree penetrates afar. Then I said, How beautiful is the tree, and how attractive is its look? Then Raphael, the holy angel who is with me, answered me and said, this is the tree of wisdom of which thy father old in years. Sorry. What was that? Then Raphael, the holy angel who was with me answered me and said, this is the tree of wisdom of which thy father old in years and thy aged mother who were before thee have eaten and they learnt wisdom and their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they were driven out of the garden. Bro, did, did we just read about the death of Eve? Um, yes. I don't know. I'm, I'm asking you, is that what, is it, what does he say there, man? He says, um, in verse six, that this is the tree of wisdom, which your father olden years and your aged mother who were before thee. No, I think he's just saying maybe they're both dead at this point where he's, where Enoch is seeing this. Cause I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure if you do the timeline, Adam is still alive when Enoch was born. But yeah, I, but, I mean, Enoch's probably in his 300s by this time, right? Well, it's possible. I mean, wasn't it? Didn't he start getting some of these visions at age 65? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Is that, I thought that, a, is that when he took a wife named Methuselah? Yeah, Methuselah came about when he was 65. And then at 300, he, he started to be taken with the angels. Is that what Jubilees told us? Jubilees and I think chapter... Was it chapter five or six of, of Enoch? Okay, I was trying to remember. Trying to remember my yeah. timelines. Yeah, Jubilees, so, I think Jasher actually talks about that too. 
So yeah, I, I was trying to line up when exactly Adam and Eve died. I don't know if it's the same they were already dead at this point or if it was just Eve that died, but because it speaks of Adam slightly differently than it does Eve, you know, and I just didn't know if he was saying, but it, no, as, as I read it again, I think it's, it is saying that Eve had already, Eve is in the same boat with Adam, how, whether they're alive or dead at this point. Yeah. And then uh, they learned wisdom and their eyes were opened. Now that's not exactly the same description we get from Genesis three, is it? No. That, Adam and Eve learned wisdom and their eyes were open. And I did say that they realized they were naked. So they cover themselves. Yeah, that's right. So um, I just think that's fascinating, but it also says that this tree is, looks like a fir has fruit on a vine. And that's beautiful. And even Enoch is like, wow, this is a tractor tree. Look at it. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, Raphael, uh, uh, don't touch that Enoch. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like this, you know, and of course Raphael didn't ask, what he's already asked, which is why are you asking about this, right? He didn't ask it at this point. Yeah. Because he Let's just move along. <laughs> yeah, move along now, guys. This is not part of the tour. Uh, we're not going to be touching this one. But it makes me, it's funny to me because it's like Enoch is an arborist of some sort. You know, he just loves trees and he's just noticing all these details about the trees. And then he sees this one and Raphael's like, oh, geez, I sh maybe I shouldn't have brought him by here. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we've got, he's like these. Oh, mankind, they love this tree. It's crazy. So, uh, but yeah, this seems to be a tree that's called the tree of wisdom, but it's also, is that, are we getting a, an expounded definition of Genesis 3 where it says the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be. Because I don't know of any other tree mentioned where Adam and Eve took and ate from that it specifically points out this particular tree and equates it to wisdom. Yeah. So it seems to be the tree of good and knowledge of evil, as far as I can see. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that for sure. And it's it mentions it being like a carob tree. So I, I also pulled up that that carob tree in uh, Google here, and it says that apparently it's quite low in fat, low in sodium. It's high in calcium and fiber, and it's got uh, gastrointestinal relief properties to it, just like the other trees we had talked about. And uh, rich in antioxidants. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Well, I will uh, just for the people uh, watching, I will go ahead and screen share real quick um, the carob tree. So this seems to be, I guess it has what looks like beans growing off of it. Off. Of yeah, yeah, it looks like a cluster. Yeah. There's yeah. someone in the comments asking carob like the chocolate substitute, feeble as frail. <laughs> yes, actually. That's what it says. It's a substitute. You can ground it up and it acts as a substitute for cacao. Yeah. That's wild. It's much healthier, yeah. apparently. I don't know if this is ripe or, or whatever, but this is in Washington. A carob tree and some of the fruit. Interesting. So, and this looks like uh, the cacao tree cocoa. I don't. I guess that got lumped in with the pictures, but this is more carob tree imagery of the fruit that grows off of it. Clearly, there's a ripening process, and these are overdue. These are more fresh, it looks like. It looks like green beans almost. Yeah. But um, anyway, so that's, I don't if know. If that's what the tree of knowledge would even look like, that, I don't know why that would be so enticing. I mean, Me neither, man. Me neither. <laughs> Some dried peas hanging there. And he says it's as tall as the fir. Of course, the, the images I show, the trees didn't seem that, that tall. It's not like a cedar or nothing, but... Um, so it just makes me wonder if things grow differently up there or if the original tree was just much, much bigger in general, you know, 
It's very interesting. But what I wanted to point out when you're reading through this chapter here uh, was verse two, where you talked about in um, the mountains towards the east of the earth and it passed over above the Erythrean Sea and went far from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some interesting things about that sea. Yeah, that's the part I wanted to pull up real quick just for the viewer. I have it highlighted here and it passed above. So he's he's going, he's traveling clearly on this entire tour. Right. He's traveling. But just as you commented in verse, in verse one about the nard, the fragrant trees, the cinnamon and the pepper it says in there, I went over the summits of those mountains far towards the east of the earth and passed above the Erythrean sea and went far from it and passed over the angel Zatiel. So the I'm, little one of God, Sean, the little one of God. I don't know if Zatiel is like, hanging out near the Ethrian sea or how big is the sea? I don't under, I don't know. That's a great, a great thought. And I try to address it here. So I'm going to screen share again, just to show people um, this idea of, you know, here's, here's what used to be called the Erythrean sea. And it's, it's a name for this, what would be the Indian ocean today around the Arabian peninsula and the horn of Africa. So if people can see in the top left of this image, you've got Israel and Saudi Arabia and you know Egypt and all those areas. But then this is the actual Indian Sea, which would be southwest, excuse me, southeast of Israel, southeast of Saudi Arabia and you know Oman and Qatar and all those places. Um, you've got Somalia nearby, Ethiopia, you know, all those places. But I don't know if um, and let's just go on real quick. I'm gonna show where is the other Okay, so here's my question, and here's why I'm screen sharing this. In Revelation 21.1, when he talks about seeing the renewed heaven and earth coming down from that sky, coming down through, right? I saw the holy city in verse 2, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. But in verse 1, while he's looking at the heaven and earth, he says, it had passed away and the sea was no more. So my question is that I'm trying to figure out as I look at Enoch, and he, we go over these bodies of water and these land masses, that word in in the use of it in Revelation is thalassa, which does mean the word sea. So it's not like some bad translation or anything. And yeah. I'm thinking about like, so this is a picture of the region of the Middle East. And the New Jerusalem is going to encompass most of the land that you're seeing from the, from the Nile over to the Euphrates for sure, because that was what was promised to Abraham. But, um, but the New Jerusalem itself is in measure 21 was definitely measured seems to extend a little bit beyond the borders of those two rivers. So, mm. and it, in my opinion, it would, it will go all the way down to the Horn of Africa, um, into Ethiopia, which is, is a whole nother study and a whole nother video. But as you see the, the, um, what's called the Arabian sea or the Indian ocean right there at the bottom right-hand corner of this picture of this map. Uh, I don't know if it's trying to say, I don't know what sea Revelation 21 one is talking about, to be honest with you. Some people have theorized that it was the molten sea within the tabernacle, but I'm not sure the context is that specifically because it's not really talking about that. Um, and so it's talking more about land itself coming down out of heaven. And so in within the land itself, I look at this big region of all surrounding Israel of the promised land, and there's lots of seas, Ken. I'm looking at the top right. I'm looking at the Caspian Sea, top Top left to look at the Black Sea, just above the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah. We look at the Red Sea. We're looking at the Persian Gulf on the right-hand side of the picture, and then the Arabian Sea at the bottom, bleeding into the Indian Ocean. So it's like there's a ton of actual seas, big, large bodies of water. And then even if you if you zoomed in to the nation of Israel, we've got 
obviously the Red Sea uh, coming up into the bottom of the Dead Sea and then the Jordan, you know, which the Jordan fills both the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. So what am, what are we to think here, man? Um, are Did we talking about like, the, the geographical boundaries there, man? That's, that's yeah, awesome. So when it says there's no more sea, is it talking about the Mediterranean, the Black Sea, the Caspian? Is that physically talking about that? Or is it talking possibly about some of the land that we've been, or some of the water sources we've been looking at and reading about in Enoch. And I don't know if the Erythrean Sea is also above the firmament, or are we talking below the firmament, what we're reading here in the book of Enoch? Yeah, it's, well, we know when the uh, the firmament rolls back like a scroll, I'm, you know, we're potentially theorizing that there's a sea above that firmament. If that sea drains, could it be talking about that as it's descending? And yeah, and so then are we just saying that, um, you know, from here's why I try to, here's where I struggle because Genesis 1 tells us that the water that receded below the firmament and the dry land appeared, it collected, and those places where it collected was called seas. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's kind of like the first introduction of the term or the idea of a of like a large lake or extra large lake. And the, to where a large body of water that is called a sea and no mention of actual oceans. And I know in our modern culture and our modern language, we differentiate between a pond, a lake, a sea and an ocean, right? A river yeah. and a canal are different. You know what I'm saying? A delta is the opening of a river into a large body of water. So we have all these specific terms, um, but yet we see just a very, very large generic term in Genesis 1 for collections of bodies of water. So I don't know. It's the, that's where I'm struggling with that Erythrean Sea concept because my thought is: is it mirrored? Since since we have a Jerusalem and a Zion on the ground, and a promised land on the ground, that's going to get destroyed at the return of the Lord, and He brings down the New Jerusalem with Zion, the mountains of Zion that we've read about, where His throne is, and rivers and trees and all. And there's there's all these trees we're reading about above. They're also on the ground. Is it possible that there's a sea above called the Ethraean Sea that we also used to call a body of water on the ground, the Indian Ocean, the Ethraean Sea? Just yeah, to- yeah, it's it's that's a good question, man, for sure. I don't. I wonder if Ezekiel forty-seven has anything to say Ezekiel about forty-seven. Yeah, yeah, we can look. I'm not sure because um, he's talking about measuring all sorts of rivers, and um, yeah. it goes towards the sea, and verse ten there. Um, be a place for spreading of nets. The fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many by the okay. river. So there's, it seems like there's still a definitely well, a sea. Um, when he talks about the qualifier in verse 10 about from Engedi to Enneglame, um, that is along the, uh, I looked that up one time and it's, it's some of the towns that I guess were along the Dead Sea. Okay. I don't know if it's talking about having the Dead Sea is suddenly going to be full of life now. It's not going to be dead anymore. But um, but again, we're talking about, you know, this is kind of what I'm saying, where we, we know from uh, verse 12 that this river that he's looking at in Ezekiel 47 is the river of life because from it grows these trees and their leaves are for the healing of people. And that we only other time we see that, in all of scripture is revelation, you know, revelation 22 inside the new Jerusalem, right? With the river that's coming from the throne of Yeshua. So this is very practical terms about land and water and mountains. 
This is not mystical, wispy, Gnostic style, imaginary, outer dimensional heavens. This is just the very real and lively. This is Ezekiel getting a vision about the kingdom of God that came to the earth in the future. And he's he's actually placing modern day town names around the Dead Sea to what he's talking about in his vision. You know, so. Yeah. And is the fish of the great sea. I don't know what he's talking about. I'm guessing that's what they refer to as the Mediterranean. I think I looked that up one time. So, yeah, there's a lot to it, man. I don't know if the what we call the Dead Sea um, is supposed to be the Dead Sea as far as like the terminology. Sea of Galilee, I guess I just again, it goes back to how we are. How are we defining sea in my mind? It just becomes a a semantic challenge as it does for many other things. Yeah. You're like, uh, what's what's going on? Is that because we saw that? Remember earlier in chapter 31, I think it was we saw that valley full of water. Well, a valley is pretty big. That's a huge, depends on the size of the valley. That could be a lake, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. In fact, I live here in Colorado, and there's an actual uh, reservoir that they made from a valleys of mountains. And the in- Army Corps of Engineers came in, I think, in the late 50s, or early 60s, and they created dams and stuff and channeled all the mountain runoff snow water into this reservoir. It's called Horse Tooth Reservoir. It's really beautiful. It's actually where Lindsay and I did our vows. And it's a really beautiful place, but it's like a huge lake that's like six miles long and it's in the valleys of mountains, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Hmm. looks like we got another question real quick. Um, it says, if, if you're not welcome to the new Jerusalem, you're cast in the outer darkness and void, right? So maybe the lake of fire will be on earth as well. Just a thought. Um, well, that's where we, we talked about this in uh, previous. It's a good question. Uh, it's definitely a good thought. I would encourage looking at some of our previous episodes, especially uh, episode six, where we discuss the lake of fire, its placement. And uh, we talk about it as in also being in Isaiah 30. It's called Tophet in Isaiah 30. Um, it's referenced in the, in the New Testament and the Greek as Gehenna and Matthew 10, 28. And then also we see it obviously in Revelation 19 and also in Revelation 20 after the thousand years for the second judgment. But as far as in the book of Enoch, the lake of fire um, is there's, like I said earlier in this particular episode, there's only one place of judgment itself. And that's what chapter six, excuse me, uh, episode six of honor of Kings. We dissected uh, some of the descriptions about Enoch seeing the lake of fire. And then in chapter seven that we just, uh, we just did recently, maybe that was chapter seven. I apologize. Chapter seven, excuse me, Enoch uh, episode seven of honor of Kings is the one I think where we did, um, the lake of fire and angelic bodies. And then last week, if that's, if that's not, I think I'm mistaken. <laughs> one second. Great question. We've done a one few, second. we've done a few of these episodes. They're all, yeah, we've done a few. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Let me look at it real quick. Thomas, without doubt, you're asking, are we the leaves? I don't think we are. I think the leaves are literally from the, uh, the, the tree of life, um, or the trees of life that are planted. Um, yeah. and literally. the nations will be able to tap into those physical leaves. Yes, literal, actual, tangible growing leaves from soil and trees and water and air. And uh, none of this is described as a spiritual metaphor for anything. It's very, very tangible stuff. Okay, so it's uh, chap- It's episode six that we did like three weeks ago. Okay, it's called Angelic Bodies in the Lake of Fire. In this episode, we discuss the lake of fire in depth and how Enoch sees it. And we reference it and compare it to what our descriptions in the can of 66 and how we know that is the only place of judgment ever mentioned in any of the extra biblicals or the apocryphal books or the canon of 66 is because 
everything we talked about in episode seven, which is called Sheol, Tartarus, and the Prison of Stars. And we go over the place of confinement where you go after you die and you wait for either to be resurrected or to f go into judgment and be thrown into the lake of fire. And we express all throughout, you know, a good hour and 30 minutes of that episode, how the description of Sheol and Tartarus is not like the description the Catholic Church gives of hell. So it's a very different concept and that how we talk about how that word hell has been taken wildly out of context by the Catholic Church over the years and turned into something the Bible does not describe. So um, nor does Enoch describe. And so that's what we reviewed in that episode. I, I would encourage you to check out those two and, and you'll be you'll get a much more much more information about the lake of fire itself. Yeah. So. So, yeah, man, that's kind of where I got stuck with chapter 32 was I'm just basically trying to figure out is just like we're reading about all these trees that he's seeing in this vision above. Now, I, I don't think it's any, you know, I'm sorry, let me finish that thought. Just like he's seeing all these trees and mountains and waters and things in the vision above, and they seem to be the same things that we see on the land below the firmament where we live today, is it possible that they that they named bodies of water the same? I, I don't know. It just seems like a stretch, to be honest, but I'm just trying to figure out because after he goes over the Eritrean Sea, he goes to the Garden of Righteousness. Yeah, and we, I speculate that the Garden of Righteousness is in the third firmament. Um, so it, yeah. it would have been on the ground during that time, though, right? That Enoch was. Well, that's where we, so far, our studies have included that the Garden of Eden is what we think is talking about the Garden of Righteousness. And that um, it apparently was on the ground up until the flood because of the way it's talked about in Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 49. And so it seems to me that, I don't know, if it, is it possible that he went to, he went from wherever he was and then, then went into the Garden of Eden? Um, I don't know, man. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. There's just some little description given on directional terms in this in this part, you know. Yeah. So that's where we just try to do our best with it. But again, yeah. this is what I want to ensure the the viewer. Just because we can't draw a, a a literal, you know, route on a map where he went, does not mean the stuff he's seeing isn't real. The concepts he's talking about, he, there's no. And people may have noticed throughout this episode, he's not teaching any real theology. He's just telling, I saw mountains and trees and waters and trees. And does that make sense? Yeah. Like he's not telling you this is how you know God in this particular passage. So it's not, it's not deterring or taking away from the theology, the actual doctrine of how we walk with God and obedience and love and who God is. Um, it's just given us, he's been taken on a tour and he's been seeing all these things he's trying to describe, you know? So I think it's interesting. Um, but I just don't want people to get discouraged to think because we don't have all the answers as far as putting everything on a map where he's going in these chapters that yeah. somehow it invalidates the entire book somehow. Unfortunately, people knee-jerk that conclusion anyway, but I just want to put that out there. Yeah, Enoch is just one of those books that, you know, like the Hebrews typically wrote, it, they make these big blanket statements and then they they revisit those statements later on in chapters. So it's it just the narrative bounces around all over the place. And Sean and I have, have discussed a little while ago about possibly, you know, once we get a decent grasp on this book, um, possibly um, putting these things in a chronology that makes better sense of, of, you know, what's going on here because it's just, 
Yeah, it's, it yeah, can be hard. Make a chronological book of Enoch, just yeah. compile them chronologically and see if uh, it makes better sense for, for people trying to read along. We would just have to put in like, you know, brackets, parentheses. This, this comes from chapter 31 and chapter 10 and chapter, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but just so it can stay in context of chronology if possible, but it may be challenging, but we may, we may try that when we have some more time in the future. Yeah. So right on buddy. All right. Hey brother, what, uh, anything else stick out to you in this particular part? Um, I think, well, what's interesting is, was it Gabriel that's over paradise in Enoch 20 where it talks about, I think it was Gabriel, right? Um, I'll have to go back and look. I'm not I'm sure. Wondering when he gets taken to the actual garden of righteousness. It's um, Raphael carrying him around, wasn't it? Yeah, Raphael's the one's carrying him around. Is it like a piggyback ride? <laughs> What's happening here? See, this is the thoughts that go through my mind when it says, oh, Raphael took me to this other place and we went over mountains and over a sea and we saw this valley full of water. And we saw these trees and then we went to another place and then we went to the middle of the earth and you're like, are they on some sort of you're getting dizzy are they on a platform them. are they are they on a floating pod are they on a some sort of vehicle are they on riding on flying horses and chariots i mean is is Raphael just holding him by the scruff of his neck and just carrying him around everywhere and showing him stuff yeah i mean this is the the this is what i was talking about when i talked about the, the the practical little details the adjectives as far as setting the description and the scene so you actually can get a picture of what's happening we get none of that and it just yeah. breaks my heart because I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. And we, uh, we do our best though to try to, to try to go through it. So Sean, yeah, this, this tree that's in the garden of righteousness, it, we don't see anywhere in scriptures or any extra biblical books um, that I've come across about the tree of knowledge of good and evil ever being tapped into again. Right now it seems to be, Oh, again, but that, I mean, that's, it seems to be that particular tree that was in the garden, which is why he says this tree, this, this specific tree he's pointing at and looking at was the tree your forefathers, Adam and Eve ate. But when he describes the tree, it's just a tree. So th that's why I was saying earlier, it's not like it's a tree that produces poison. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Apparently it's a tree of wisdom that produces wisdom. But it's not a tree that is inherently bad for you. It would just in the conditions of Genesis 3, they were said, don't eat from that tree. You can eat of all the other trees in the garden, just not that particular tree as a test. But the tree, but when they ate the tree itself, they didn't die because of the fruit of the tree. They died because of the disobedience. They were suddenly outside or they transgressed you know, spiritually in, in their soul. And so therefore they were going to die. They were kicked out of the garden, conditions changed. Um, you know, they were, their mind was changed. And I don't know if that's the result of wisdom is now you have a, this consciousness of choice that you have to do. It, I, I mean, this is kind of a wilder theory, but is that what we were talking about with the angels where they, they have the opportunity to sin, but they don't yet. We see some of them only 200 out of the myriads and myriads that actually did sin and rebel. And the other ones don't, but they're conscious entities that, you know, sentient beings that willfully every day choose to obey God. If they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, will they with that with that disposition in their mind change and suddenly there's a higher propensity for them to sin? Are they in like a strange state of innocence right now? Or they're just like, Well, God told me to do it, I'm gonna go do it. You know? <laughs> I, I mean I'm yeah. just, obviously I'm just throwing some thought out here, just brainstorming. 
because the tree itself, the knowledge of good and evil, doesn't seem to be detrimental to a person's health physically. Spiritually, they were told that don't eat that tree or you will die. You know, so, um, but it doesn't tell them because they're going to die because the tree itself was poison or nothing. It's just that they were disobeying. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's interesting. I just, I just wonder if we are going to be just eating freely from it in the, in the kingdom. Yeah, it definitely has, um, it has fruit on it. It's got, you know, it's pleasing to the eye, but I, I couldn't guarantee that it would be there. Just if nothing else, just for the sake of, um, posterity, <laughs> you know, just, uh, I don't know. And if it is there, like I could just see people walking around it going, you sure can eat that? Is this a test? <laughs> We're not going to go through this again, are we? Yeah. They're just walking in circles around it and they're like, you know, uh, can we just look at it? Do we have to eat of it? I don't know if I want to eat of it. So it's, okay. yeah, just to play on the safe side. I don't know. So, <laughs> Hey man, um, unless you got anything else, we'll wrap up this episode. I think it's been a good one for our first live broadcast. We only had one, one power interruption, but, um, I think yeah, you've no. taken over while I, while I was out. No, it was good. There's some good comments going on. Some some stuff that's happening in the chat here. That's that's funny. Some funny comments. Some encouraging comments. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I hope you guys yeah. like this this episode. Oh, good. Well, we appreciate uh, people joining and watching. And like we were always talking about, you know, with the, with YouTube, the way it works is if you're commenting in the comment section below the description on the video. Um, while you're watching the video that actually puts it on the algorithms for YouTube to put it up on the side reel for other people to click on it and see it. And they may actually like it. And it's just, it's, it's how it jumps into their algorithm uh, because it, it looks like in YouTube's eyes that it's quality content because the viewers are interacting with it. So as we always say, like, share, subscribe, you know what I mean? Uh, if you're not already a subscriber to Kingdom of Context uh, and you want to see more of this show and be notified when we do new episodes, like we do every Saturday, Make sure to tap the bell after you subscribe and then comment, you know, even if you didn't like it, that's fine. Tell us why comment in the, in the section below. And, uh, and if you share it with others on social media, you do a great, you know, great service. We appreciate it. So otherwise, do um, we just uh, appreciate everyone's thoughts and prayers for us as we try to dissect this stuff. And, um, you know, here later on, we're going to get to a, a point where we're, we'll do other books, but right now um, we're just, there's a lot of meat in this first, first books of Enoch. And Ken and I have yet to decide on a stopping place because there's just so much meat here. But there's so many other extra biblical book, books that were removed and hidden from the modern version of the Bible we have today that we're anxious and chomping at the bit to get into those as well. So um, stick with us, guys. And uh, we really appreciate you. Yeah. Amen. Sean, do you mind if I do a shameless plug real quick? Do a shameless plug, man. <laughs> So guys, yes, I, I have a YouTube channel as well. I'll, I'll point to where it is. I don't know if you can see that. It's <laughs> hanging on his words. And you can find me on Facebook as well. And uh, yeah, I hope to put out more videos in the not too distant future. And uh, yeah, I hope that you guys can be encouraged by by the things that the Father's shown me as well. And uh, so yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Those of you that have decided to jump on the, uh, the live broadcasting tonight. 27 that are apparently watching right now. Thank you guys. We appreciate that. Yes. And I want to also plug your channel as well. Go to hanging on his words, subscribe, tap the bell. Uh, he put out his first video this past week and it is stellar. It's a great video. Very well done. Very easy to understand. And what do you know, Ken, you start off with a controversial topic right from your first video. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such gumption. I love it, man. I there love it. Go. Yeah. It's, it's par for the course with everything we're doing on this channel. 
So right. uh, you just it's go go to his channel and check it out as well, guys. In fact, I'll put a link in the video description for his channel so you guys check it out. But other than that, thank you for joining us this week. Episode nine of Honor of Kings. We jumped into chapters 25 through 32. We're looking at the tree of life and other places Enoch was shown uh, about the creation and the throne of the Messiah. So I think that's pretty exciting. Um, join us next week as we continue to go to the quote unquote end of the firmaments. And uh, we're going to look at some fun stuff in chapter 33 and the chapters beyond. So, guys, come back next week. We appreciate you being with us this time. Yeah. God bless you guys. Have a good day.